perseverance is, is everything. You're going to learn probably much more from the poor leaders as you are from the good leaders. I certainly have. It's not as easy as it sounds. I've, I've been treated harshly by many people who have supervised me over the years. And I, I learned a lot from those people, right? I learned that the way that you shouldn't treat people to get more productivity out of them is that you need to respect people as individuals and help them as, as much as you can along the way. And, you know, realize that not everybody's a fit sometimes, that things have to change, but, you know, just treating people with kindness is just critical on the journey, in my opinion. Welcome to the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Turk. Join me as we dive into the personal stories of some of the world's best hospitality professionals. We follow the journey of their ups, downs, and wild turns to find out what it truly takes to make it in the amazing world of hospitality. This episode is brought to you by our podcast partners at Real-Time Reservation. Their inventory management system is best in class for hotels and resorts to manage their non-room inventory. The web-based application allows for creative upselling of overnight and daytime visitors with add-ons and pre-planned packages. Hotel guests and non-guests can reserve cabanas, pool chairs, activities, amenities, excursions, events, day passes, and much more. The real-time reservation platform offers a fully integrated pre-arrival portal where guests are verified through the property management system. Guests can prepay for cabanas and activities through credit card integrations, which are then processed through point of sale. All of our listeners that might be interested in using real-time reservation are welcome to explore the demo at realtimereservation.com. Once again, that's realtimereservation.com. Welcome to another episode of the Hospitality Mentor Podcast. Today, I'm very excited to have Raul Leal, the CEO of SH Hotels and Resorts, joining us today. Raul, thanks for joining us. Hey, Steve. It's great to be here. Thanks, on, and happy Friday. Oh, right back at you. And uh, yeah. for listeners, you know, we record these about a week before, and I've had the pleasure to follow Raul a lot, and so I'm excited to have him on the show. So, Raul, let's get right into it. Sure. What was your first job in hospitality? Well, it's a good one. My uh, my father actually was working in a hotel after I came here from Cuba. We were Cuban immigrants. And one summer I went to work with him. He was kind of the head of food and beverage informally. And I went to work wow. with him in the uh, in the restaurant at the hotel. It was an Ever a hotel called the Everglades Hotel, which no longer exists in Miami. Oh, in downtown. Downtown nice. Miami, yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, you know, can I come work for you in the summer? He said, sure. So I, I started off as a, a dish person and, you know, part-time busboy, part-time room service waiter, kind of all three. It was depending on what they needed at that time of day, right? I started there in the summer and uh, kind of fell in love with the business. And that's where I started and never looked back. So was it a little bit strange working for your dad in a place that he worked? Because, you know, I always fell in love with hotels at a young age because it seemed like a yeah. magical place. What was it like for you? working in a place. Like you know, I, it wasn't any issue with my dad at all. I think he treated me exactly the way he treated everybody else. Right. I was very respectful of you know, his position, the whole thing. So I wasn't, I wasn't really treated any differently. Although, you know, I had lots of some of the uh, older cooks and people that worked in the kitchen always gave me an extra meal here or there, but <laughs> <laughs> I, they were just being nice. You know, I, I think yeah. they were sweet, sweet people and uh, they were just being nice, but and they love my, they love my dad. So it was, it was a great experience. And so as you were coming up, was that something that you thought 
this is what I want to do? Or was it like, all right, this is fun while I'm in school and working with my dad? When did you start deciding, like, I want to make a career of this? I made it, I actually made a decision pretty quickly because on some of the days that I was a, a bus boy, I started to notice that, you know, the general manager would, who, who was probably, you know, not the most modest guy in the world would come in and, and you know, for breakfast and lunch and sometimes even dinner, just all the time entertain and, uh, you know, sign the bill. Mm-hmm had a great time. And I said to my dad one day, I said, I think I want that job. I said, I want to be a This guy's got a great life. He comes in and has breakfast, lunch, dinner, signs the bill. And, you know, of course my dad said, well, it's not that easy, but, you know, I said, if you want that, you're going to have to, you know, finish school, you know, learn the business. And it takes a while to get there. But that was, uh, you know, through the eyes of a 16 year old, that's kind of what I said. Wow. What a, what a great gig this is. And, And that was my, and then I stated it. That's great. So as you're coming up, did you have go to school for that? Did you go to college for it? Or was it just something that you continued on in your career, just growing through hotels? Well, I actually didn't. I actually didn't go to the school at that time. I got my degree later in life, mm-hmm. but I, I just kind of worked my way through at that point. I really, at that point, I really couldn't, couldn't afford to go to school back then. Uh, family couldn't afford to put me through college. So I stayed in and it just kind of worked my way through. It was very lucky with some good mentors and great companies that I worked for early. But then later on in life, I wound up getting my bachelor's in, in hospitality. I saw, yeah, you went to LaSalle, studied yeah. there. So before you got there, I want to learn about the come up. I always love the origin story. So we learned where yeah. you started, but how did you start growing, you know, making that jump from 16 year old Raul, you know, doing the service and the busing to getting into management? Well, again, actually, my objective was to, to be a general manager, and I was very goal-oriented. So I figured, okay, what next? How do I figure this out, and how do I get to from point A to point B? So, uh, you know, shortly after I was in food and beverage there, at around 17 or 18, I went to the front desk and stayed there for a little bit and kept my eye on the prize and saying, okay, I want to – I always had goals about saying, you know, before 30, I want to get to this capacity, or before 35, or before I'm 40. That's the way I generally thought about it. Back then, to, to become a general manager in that day and age, the food and beverage background was really important. You really had to come up through food and beverage back then. And uh, I was in the front desk for a while, and I decided to go back to food and beverage. So I, I, I found one of my first mentors, who was the food and beverage director of a hotel that I worked at shortly after that. And I told them I wanted to quit the front desk and you know go back to food and beverage. And I went straight back to the kitchen, took a pay cut, and stayed wow. in the kitchen Stayed in the kitchen for a long time and eventually worked my way up to be executive sous chef of a, a pretty, you know, busy restaurant and food and beverage director. Was that in Miami? That was in Miami. Where were and you working? At the time, it was a, a hotel that had a lot of notoriety. It was it was a Sheraton at a time when Sheraton was still a dominant brand. It was called the Sheraton River House. Mm-hmm. And it was interesting hotel by the airport and had Miami's. Now, before this was before South Beach had Miami's hottest nightclub attached called Daphne's. It was an anomaly of a hotel and the club really attracted all kinds of different people. So I was also the nightclub manager as well. So I learned a lot about nightlife at that time. Yeah, it's an incredible, incredible experience. Then was there for a while and then uh, eventually got promoted to to be assistant general manager of of a hotel in Key Biscayne that was around back then, a resort was there for a few years, was the assistant GM, and then uh, got an opportunity actually to leave that company after 10 years and, uh, you know, became became a GM and in a place in uh, San Diego. Oh, wow. So, you know, I want to talk about that because it seems like you're Miami, you know, bred and raised here. 
And to go across the country, that's got to be a tough decision. Was that something that you talked about your family or you just knew I'm going to any GM position and that's what they need me? Well, fairly independent. I wanted to become a general manager and I just told my family I was going to go. I had no clue where La Jolla was. (laughs) (laughs) I'd heard of San Diego, but I never, I had no clue where La Jolla was. And of course I got to La Jolla and it was, you know, such a beautiful place. So I fell in love right away. And then I became a general manager there of an independent hotel which is kind of interesting that my first hotel was an independent hotel back then, mm-hmm. which would lead to other things in my life. So it was called the La Jolla Village Inn. And how and big was it? It was lovely. It was like 190 rooms, as I recall, with some mm-hmm. actually cool food and beverage and uh, stayed there for a while. And then the hotel was sold and I stayed with the same company and was promoted to a big Hilton in Denver. So before we jump to that, what was it like becoming GM for the first time? Because for a lot of people, you know, they, they go up the route, they're on the executive team for yeah. a couple of years, they think they can do it. And then once they hit GM, what was that like for you? It's pretty, it, it was pretty easy for me. And I say that with all due humility. I'd, I had some very good mentors. And I think if anybody says, look, you can't underestimate the importance of mentors in life, I certainly wouldn't, wouldn't be here if, if I wouldn't have had some ridiculously great mentors in my life that helped me along on I needed every single one of them, by the way, <laughs> to, to get to this point today. And uh, I'd been very well trained. I was ready to be a GM. And I was, uh, you know, understood food and beverage, understood rooms at that point. It was very strong financially as well. So uh, it wasn't it wasn't much of a leap. Actually, for me, it was, I thought, I thought it was fairly easy, you know, and I, and I enjoyed it. That's what I wanted to be. So that's great. And then you, you continue on this career. So your general manager, is that where with interstate hotels and resorts? Not quite. I was with Not a company called Lane Hotels at the time, which was a company based in out of out of Chicago and working for uh, someone who became my mentor there, a pretty charismatic CEO. His name was John Rehos. And then I, I was promoted to a much bigger hotel in, in Denver, was there for a few years and then kept getting promoted to bigger hotels Then went to, to uh, Chicago and was the GM of a place called the Sheraton North Shore, which was 400 rooms and market and then went to uh, they got to a bigger hotel, a 500-room hotel in Cleveland. Actually, another Sheridan that was a flagship for the brand and was there for a few years. And then came back to Miami and ran Interstate's flagship at the time, which I was I was kind of a the Sheridan brand at that point, which was a 600-room Sheridan Hotel in Miami, which was also the number one hotel at the time for Interstate in the world. So Amazing. Uh, it was it was there and enjoyed that and enjoyed that quite a bit. They were very- Where was that one? Where, where Sheraton was that? It was in Miami. It was the Sheraton Brickle Point, which is no longer there. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, that keep t- I remember that one. Yeah. Uh, I think we actually had like our homecoming there in high school. So right before it was like starting to get to its end of its life. Yeah, crazy busy hotel, great location. Now they they tore it down, I think about 10, 12 years ago and made condo, a massive condominium out of it in that area. <laughs> it keeps building. Yeah. So you're, you're there, you're doing a good job as a GM. Yeah. You, you get, you know, it looks like you get this kind of like entrepreneurial itch. Right. And I've seen this now with a lot of people yeah. on the podcast. Can you walk me through that journey of how you decide to say, you know what, I want to start something of my own or be partners with someone to create our own brands? I, I was fortunate. I had kept in touch with a gentleman named Richard Millard, who had been in the industry for a long time. And he was the general manager of the hotel at the airport when I was there, when I was a kid. And we had kept tabs over mm-hmm. the years. And he was running a small hotel management company called Tecton Hospitality. And I was about to be transferred by interstate to run three hotels in Kabul. And I didn't, I didn't really want to go, but they said, look, we have 150 hotels. You're the only guy that speaks Spanish. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> we need you. We got, you got to go. I said, well, you know, I don't know if I want to go live in Kabul. My daughter had just been born and mm -hmm. I said, I don't know, man. So uh, Richard came along and said, look, I've got a little management company. He said, we have a little money. We're going to grow it. But I said, I, I need somebody who's a little bit more forward thinking than I am. And somebody who understands what's going on with all this tech and internet and all this stuff going on around us, he said. And, you know, I need somebody to be my partner and you can be the operations guy and we'll see and we'll grow it. And so that's exactly what happened. So I, I took a leap of faith, which I, I'd done before in my life a bunch of different times. And uh, we grew that company to uh, about 35 hotels altogether. We were, we were partners in, in the company and did and we were together for about 13 years. And out of that company came a company called Desires Hotels, which managed at the time probably some of the most sought after boutique hotels in the world. We were some of the first to do management of, of independent boutique hotels. And we had, you know, places like the Sagamore and the Astra on Miami Beach, the Water Club in Puerto Rico, the Iron Horse in Milwaukee. And we were the manager developer in some cases and owners of some of those. And uh, I was there with Richard for 13 years until another Richard came calling. So yeah. I, I want to talk about that time you're with Tecton and building yeah. desires is, you know, that's a tough business to be in, especially when yeah. you're managing hotels. Was it ever, what was the hardest for you making that jump? Because usually you were working for a big company, but now you are making things happen. What was the most challenging that company? I think for a while it was for us is, you know, gaining the credibility as a management company because we were small. Mm-hmm. And there was so many large management companies around like interstate or whatever. And, you know, after we, after we, you know, successfully started turning around a few hotels and establishing ourselves, it got quite a bit easier, you know, for us at that, from that perspective, we had a hard time attracting great people at the beginning because nobody knew who we were. Yeah. But then after a while, you know, that, that turned around fairly quickly, but I think making the leap to the, the regional side of it at that point and overseeing a variety of different hotels was, again, I didn't feel too di too difficult. I had to get used to the travel at the beginning. I think that that, that was a leap mm -hmm. because you know, we were traveling quite a bit. Our hotels were, you know, all over the place as far out as Oklahoma and all the way down to the Caribbean. So, you know, we had all kinds of different products. So it was an interesting, interesting company at the time, a little bit of a hybrid of the company, but great culture. We had Patrick Goddard on the show who I think came after you, or he did yeah. come after you. So he was yeah. telling me some great things about you and how you built some fantastic model for him to kind of follow on. Yeah, um, he's a sweet guy. He really is. And I, oh, I'm glad he got He's doing well. He's a very nice man. Yeah, He's doing well. So as you're doing that, you know, you mentioned the travel. And I think for a lot of people, yeah. they think, oh, that's so amazing. It's so luxurious to travel all these places. How did you experience travel? Was it something you built knowing I'm going to be on the road these days, or was it you had to put out fires in the role you were in? What was it like? Yeah, it's, you know, it seems more glamorous than it is actually, but especially today, but I think it was a mindset. I mean, I knew when I took that job that my life was going to change. You know, we had hotels that, you know, we owned and managed. And if you were building a company, you have to just, you know, I accepted the job. I knew what it was going to be. And I just kind of got in the groove of it and then became easy. You know, it's kind of like, uh, it became like traveling to work. And I enjoyed going to all the hotels. And I think, you know, one of the things that I always say to people in the business today, especially young people thinking about getting into the hotel business today is, you know, I understand that today we're very influenced by a lot of the so-called, you know, like immediate billionaires. And of course, you know, it happens to a lot of people, not a lot of people, but a good percentage of the population today, people that make that kind of money. But, you know, there's still a great career to be had in the, in the industry that's very satisfying. I mean, I've seen so many things and it's exposed me to so many people all over the world. It's given me such a different perspective of the industry. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, it's been exciting the amount of people that I've met all, all around the world. I have lifelong friends all over the globe. I've seen places that I never thought I would see. So that's why I think it's a fantastic industry, especially for today's, you know, for today's uh, human beings that love to explore the planet. No, I agree with you. And I think that's a, a nice way to kind of segue into what you mentioned before. You get to meet so many different interesting people. And you yeah. mentioned a different Richard called you on the phone towards the end of your time with your yeah. company. What was that like? How did that happen? Well, it was great, but I, I want to regress a little bit as to how, yeah. we, got into, how yeah. we got into Desire's Hotels. Do it. Go ahead. So, so here's what happened. We were we were at about the 30 hotel market. It was like 1999. And, uh, you know, we had been doing all these legacy projects. We had every every single brand available. You know, we had Hilton's, Sharon's, Marriott's. And it was great, but... I went to one particular brand. I won't say the brand, one of the legacy brands. We had gotten a new hotel with one of the legacy brands. And one of the people inside the company showed us the designs for our particular hotel. Mm-hmm. And we, there was the three color boards, the, the blue color board, the red color board, or the red color or the yellow color board, the different palettes of the room. Right. And they walked around and they said, you know, our hotel was in North Carolina. And they said, no, we... We think this hotel kind of feels red to us. This should be red palette. Of course, I, I couldn't help myself. And I asked, well, w- why is it red? Mm-hmm. And everybody looked at me kind of funny, like, why are you asking? Yeah, like, <laughs> what's going on here? <laughs> why would you ask? Who cares? We're the big brand. We know better, right? So I left yeah. there a bit. I left there a bit frustrated and I'd always gravitated a lot towards the creative and the design side. My mother was part-time interior designer and I had been influenced by a lot of interior design in my life. And I said, you know, I'm kind of tired of this side of the industry. And I actually went to and stayed at the W in New York, which had opened, that Barry Sterling had opened. Mm-hmm. And I said, wow, now this is cool. This is this is a hotel. You know, this is, I get the rooms weren't big and the whole thing, but it was so quirky and well put together that, you know, I said, this is really amazing. And uh, that inspired me to go back to my business partner and say, you know, we're in Miami, which is the boutique hotel capital of the world, practically, yes. at this point, and mm-hmm. we should launch a company to start managing these types of hotels. And uh, he wasn't really a tech savvy guy. He said, well, how are we going to market these things? I said, well, I said, the Internet's going to change distribution. He said, well, what about the 800 number? I said, no, no. I said, that's going to go away. He said, no. He said, the Internet's going to go away. I said, No. <laughs> And so we launched the company and that's how we came to do the, the boutique hotel company because, you know, I was really tired of the legacy side of the business, those, those products. I thought that, you know, there was just from a consumer perspective, they were consistent, which the industry needed, but, you know, still there was a new consumer coming. So that's how we launched Desires. So then. But how, so I, I'm going to go back now. So Desires, which was the first Desires Hotel? So we were really lucky. We, our first hotel was a little hotel on South Beach called the Wave Hotel. Mm-hmm. which we took over was on Ocean Drive. It was a tiny hotel, 66 rooms. But my premise is that we were hotel operators. We could, we could operate anything, which is true. So we turned around the hotel pretty quickly with the owner. And as a result of that turnaround, we then signed a long-term management agreement for the Water Club in Puerto Rico, which in 2002 had been voted the coolest hotel in the world, but was not well oh, run yeah. and, and wasn't, wasn't being run properly. So we took that over and established tremendous credibility with that hotel in Puerto Rico, which was kind of like the Delano in Puerto Rico. It was pretty fabulous. And then we took off from there. Then we started doing other hotel management agreements for boutique hotels. And were people coming to you or are you like, I'm out there on the streets, I'm finding these deals? I'm yeah. Okay. Well, once they, once they found out what we were doing, there was a developer out there that was looking not to do a Marriott or a Hilton or something else. 
mm-hmm. and, and they sought us out. So, and we did quite a bit of those. We did about 20 of those before I left the company. And you find that was kind of your sweet spot? Because it's not made for everybody. It's a lot of number crunching. You really have to get into it. You got to figure out financing. Is that something you liked or you had people around you that helped? Uh, I mean, we liked it. I mean, we had the right team in Miami to get it done. And it was, they were very food and beverage centric. And we all understood food and beverage and nightlife. You know, one of our hotels, which was the Astra in Miami Beach, was owned by Cameron Diaz. And we had a very famous Tuesday night there that was kind of the focal point of Miami during those times. And, you know, so we were we, we understood how to how to market those and do the food and beverage side of it. And, you know, Morgan's was the dominant lifestyle hotel company. They were the kings of it and they owned all their hotels. We were just a third party management company that was out there managing these types of hotels. And at the time, there wasn't mostly anybody out there doing that. So we were one of the first. That's cool. Yeah, I worked for Morgan's, and so they gave me the brainwashing of how they started everything, and it was just yeah, cool was, to see all the hotels around popping up. I was a fan of Morgan's. I mean, I really was. I mean, I, I was always a fan and hung out at their hotels, and you know, at one point, we had the Sagamore right next to the Delano for a few years and took yep. them on and did very well. And Yeah, I ran the Blue Door restaurant, so you might have come yeah. over there when I was there. I'm sure I was, <laughs> I was there many times, many times. So let's get to that phone call that happens. The other Richard. Who was this other Richard that called so, you? So Richard Branson. So he didn't really call me. So what happened is we had opened a pretty wonderful hotel on Ocean Drive called the Betsy. And the Betsy was the only five-star boutique hotel in Miami Beach. Actually, the only five-star hotel in Miami Beach. Beautiful colonial-style boutique hotel with tea was the restaurant, which is Bistro, Loranto, and Dal with a lot of, you know, there was a lot of notoriety around that. And uh, Richard, yeah, it was lovely. It really was. And uh, interesting location on Ocean Drive, but... At the time, Ocean Drive was a little bit quieter than it is now. So, you know, it did, it did really well. So Richard Branson was staying at the hotel. The general manager of the hotel, a gentleman named David Moss, used to run Necker Island for Richard. And David was working for us running this hotel. So David calls me one day and he says, hey, you know, Richard's going to be here. You want to meet him? I said, God, great. Sure. At the Betsy? At the Betsy. Okay. So I hopped in my car and I, I went over and Richard was sitting in the lobby, you know, having some tea and reading newspaper, I think at the time and sat down with him as lovely as he usually is. And uh, we spent about 30 minutes together and he looked at me and he says, well, look, he's lovely, loved the hotels and David's been telling me about you and whatever else. He says, do you want to run Virgin Hotels? I go, what? He goes, yeah, do you want to run Virgin Hotels? I go, oh. Well, I said, Richard, what's Virgin Hotels? He said, well, we're launching Virgin Hotels, lifestyle company. And I go, oh, gee, I'm honored. He said, look, I, I'm a partner in my company. He said, well, maybe you'll, maybe we'll buy your company. I said, okay. I said, well, why don't I do this? Why don't, Richard, I, again, I'm honored. I'll tell my partner. I said, why don't, why don't I consult for, for you for a while and see how, mm-hmm. what are you doing? And so we did, that was 2009 and started, started doing that and consulted for a year and a half or so, and then actually brought in some of the money to help them launch. So but what I want to go back to this. This is one of those times in life that can change everything, right? Because yeah. you could have just said, hey, I'm so happy and I'm going to stick with my company and just say, I met Richard Branson in the lobby. So well, I did, I did say that. I actually said exactly that, but I kept thinking yeah. about it and, you know, and started to become friends with this group and the whole thing and, and got to meet them. And, you know, they, they had some concept ideas. It started to be like their unofficial hotel, guy. Uh, kind of a friend of the family, right? I, I wasn't getting paid or anything. It didn't matter. They was calling you like, Hey, what do you think? Hey, what do you and think? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, whatever, or maybe not. So uh, and then I introduced them to some investors and they, the way that Virgin launches companies in, they actually put in the majority of the money, but then they bring in like a minority partner, like an LP. And I introduced them to a couple of gents in Miami who wound up being their partners. 
And then they all decided, you, got, you know, you've got to come on board now. You, you kind of put all this together. And uh, so I told the other, my other partner, the other Richard, the other Richard. who's also English <laughs> and, and, and also a big, has been a great friend and supporter of mine. He said, you got to do it. You, sh you should go for it. He said, go for it. And if it doesn't work out, you can come back. That's a really supportive partner. Yeah, he's, he's still you know, my best friend. He's, uh, we're, he's here in Miami. We hang out all the time. And that was it. And then launch with, launch with Richard. And that was a great experience. When you start with him, right? You yeah. see all these stories, right? I've never met Mr. Branson, but you see all the stories, you see all the videos, you see the, the bravado yeah. and the overtop. And all. is that what you experience in business? Is it like that? Yeah. Is yeah. It a little he's, bit different. Well, first of all, he's one of the most, one of the most humble human beings ever. I mean, the nicest man, very focused and brilliant and, you know, but really, really nice man. I mean, everything you hear about him is uh, about all the things he does and does for other people, whatever is, is true. You know, it's tremendous family and I'm, I'm blessed to be close to the family now and, and friends or whatever else. But it was an interesting experience. I, I always explain it like this. It was like Google has an idea to launch a hotel company mm -hmm. and they hire you to be their hotel guy. But there's a lot of interesting people and interest, intelligent people in the room, but nobody knows the hotel business. So it was an education for them as much as it was for me learning about Virgin. And, and, and for me, it was like stepping out of the hotel business for a while and still being involved, but, you know, learned a lot from Virgin in so many different ways. What was something that you really saw that was different right off the bat? Like when you got there, like, whoa, this is very different, but very cool. Was it something like that right when you got there? Well, first of all, no offices and everybody was already remote working. Wow. Back then. So what year was that? That was 12 years ago? Yeah. So I asked, I, the first thing I did, I said, where's my office? And they laughed at me. They said, well, don't I get an office? They go, no, no, no. We do, we do desks here and you can use these meeting rooms. I said, oh, okay. And then I noticed, you know, people didn't come in every day. I said, well, how come everybody's not here every day? I said, well, some people were from the home. I said, okay. So that was, that was 12 years ago. And it worked. Mostly everybody showed up every day because it was a fun office to be at, but there was times when they didn't because people had, you know, they always, uh, always a good balance of work life. You have this iconic brand name. How do you start building these iconic hotels that go with it? What was the first steps that you kind of took to make it happen? Well, they kind of sold me a bill of goods, really, because <laughs> I assumed that based on all the, the Virgin was great at putting together presentations. So I, <laughs> I had seen some presentations that were awesome, but when I actually got there and I said, "Well, where's where's the model room and where's the," and they go, "Well, what do you mean?" I said, "You know, well, where's the you know? Let's talk about the tech and let, where's the wireframing?" And they go, "Oh, no, no." So what do you mean? No, no. I said, no, no, that's what you're here for. <laughs> I said, well, what, well, aren't we, I don't understand. I saw these, he said, yeah, yeah, that's the idea. But now, so, so we started from zero. We, we, we had to write every, every SOP, do every wireframing for every piece of technology, figure out what the product was going to be from the bed, from the room perspective and zero. So we started out with like a napkin and, you know, at the time I said, okay, well, it's going to take a little longer, which it did. Mm-hmm. But it was, a, it was a great experience just building of the brand from zero. And we will be right back. I have personally used Treyaway at the Eden Rock Hotel and Lowe's Miami Beach Hotel. Treyaway has finally solved the age-old problem of dirty room service trays cluttering the hotel hallways. It is affordable and easy to use. Guests and staff love it. They will even send you a free product kit so you can try it before you buy it. Use promo code TURK10 for a 10% discount on all Treyaway products and services. And now back to the show. So how do you start building your team? Who's the first people you bring in? So if somebody was starting this brand today, what, would, what were you doing? Were you looking to bring in marketing people right away or revenue or no, just the best people you knew? Not at the moment. The first 
person actually hired was the head of design at the so let's start let's start understanding what the concept will be right we started with, the, with really the design and you know a little bit of technical services on the construction side because we had to understand the buildings and how do we retrofit buildings and you know what's our point of view going to be on new build versus construction and how do we fit our standard into a 300 square foot room versus a 250 square foot room so so much of that right but that was first. And then after that, the marketing person to put, start putting together the brand, you know, tone of voice and what, what what's Virgin Hotel is going to be like, you know, developing the purpose for the brand was very important for Virgin, making sure mm-hmm. that that our purpose was going to be the thread that really uh, we based everything on the purpose. So that's amazing. And, you know, as I was watching, it's funny because I feel like I know you, but this is the first time we've actually met. You know, I was reading about you. So, all right, Virgin Hotels, you know, Mr. Yeah. Leal's here in Miami. It's going to be in Miami here, but it doesn't open in Miami. Yeah. It's in another city. So can you like walk us through how you chose the first hotel and the first? Yeah, hotel? it was weird. We didn't have a target city. We just said any of the major metropolitan cities, wherever we think the best real estate deal is to begin with. And we bid the first hotel we actually bid on, which we thought was going to be the first hotel was the Royal Palm and South Beach. All right. Next to where I was at the Lowe's. Yeah. All right. Perfect. Right. We were outbid. And in today's dollars, by the way, it would have made sense to buy it anyway, but who knew? Right. But that was really the first hotel that we bid on. We lost that. And then we found uh, Chicago and we, we liked the building in Chicago. Good location for us. We, we The building was stunning architecturally and we thought it would be fine. And that's why that's why we launched in Chicago. We just had a difficult time finding in Miami what we wanted to fit the product. Right. So yeah, that Royal Palm would have been great. You would have been so much better. I'm not hating yeah. anyone out there, you know, everyone yeah. relax, but it would have been cool to have that brand. It would have been cool. Right yeah, we had some great ideas for it that were going to change it quite a bit, and, you know, but we, we, we missed it by not much, by three or four million bucks, but it is what it is. So you get this historic building, which are notoriously hard to open. Is yeah. Is that what you found when you got to this first hotel? Yeah, I, I think what was most difficult was the preservation society, which they're they're difficult in every city, right? Just getting things approved and putting like a contemporary brand of the building. But I was happy we did it because if you walk around the building and first and second floor and whatever, it has some incredible like remnants of the old bank building and the exterior of the building. It was done by a couple of gentlemen that actually did, uh, they, they were mostly did like opera houses and things like that. And then they did this office building here and in New York. Right. And you can tell just by looking at the details. So we loved the building and, you know, it was a big success. It was in 2016, it was the number one hotel in Condé Nast in the U.S. and number six in the world. So it validated the content, you know, the, the, the concept immediately. So were you so, off and running after that? Was people knocking on your door saying, we want to do this in our buildings? Is that it was, except we, we weren't buying the assets. So we had to, to we had to wait on developers and things like that. So it took a while and then we got slowed down during COVID. But I think we signed like 12 or 13 hotels, which now some of those are still opening now. From mm-hmm. my era, I think New York is the next one. Edinburgh just opened, and then Glasgow. But those were all transactions that we signed at the time. So when you're there as the hospitality guy, do you get called on for other projects too? Are they saying, "Hey, we're thinking about a cruise line. We're thinking about, you know, we're doing sure. this train. We're doing." Is that you yeah. called on for those? Totally was intimately involved with the cruise line. You know, brainstorming with the team. Great team over there, led by Tom and Normal. You know, and had a lot of insight into consumer journey there and some designs and whatever else. But it was kind of like that. It would cross pollinate across the Virgin Company when, when they liked what you were doing on on the brand and went forth. So you you have a nice run there. You're there a yeah. long time. 
It was great. And then, you know, all relationships usually sometimes come to an end. How did this one change for you? How did it happen? I just thought it was time. I'd been there for 11 years with the company and, you know, I knew the opportunity here was coming along. Starwood has, is a real estate company. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Virgin is a, a massive, you know, consumer company across a variety of different sectors. So I, I wanted to be with a company for a bit that was a little bit more focused on our sector. And of course, you know, Barry Sterling is legendary in his own right for what he's did done. You, did you have and a relationship I, with him from before? I didn't. I didn't. But I, I did love the brands. And I had a relationship with the prior CEOs, my good friend, Arash Azerbazian. Mm -hmm. Rosh was actually called me and said, hey, I, I'm leaving. He said, no, he's very sweet. He said, you're the only guy I'd recommend for the job if you're interested. And it happens we're moving the company to Miami, so you don't even have to move. That's amazing. So you make this announcement. Now you're CEO of your second company. Yeah. We could almost say third, right? Because you yeah, had sure. your company before. We'll yeah. say second time around. When you start, is there a big difference you notice right away? Similar companies. Arash is a great operator, good culture, a bit more complex because of Starwood, you know, Starwood Capital Group and, and you know, there's they're a much bigger company, right? But I, I think similar companies, still entrepreneurial in its own right, great products, tremendous focus from the founder on the hotel side of it. You know, Barry's super passionate about the hotel side of it and about the design side of it, which I love. Mm -hmm. So, So for me, it was pretty seamless, I think, the transition, really. I mean, you know. Yeah, for a listener, can you give us the the minute download on your company now and what brands you have sure. and what they're like? Yeah, so SH Hotels is a management company in a, in, with a collection of brands owned by, you know, Barry Sternlich, who founded Starwood and also was famous for developing, you know, W Hotels. And uh, we have a collection of three brands, which is One Hotels, the the eco-sustainable brand, Baccarat Hotels, which there's one in New York, but about to grow exponentially all over the world, which is the ultra-luxury ultra five-star brand. And then we have Treehouse Hotels, which is started in London, is about to open in Manchester next, and then Miami and Silicon Valley, which is really a, a kind of a playful version of One Hotels. It's lighter, a little bit younger, four-star brand. I love it. And so I don't know if you're like me, but when I walked into the one hotel the first time, I was actually in there pre-construction walking with some of my friends that worked there. Yeah. I remember them telling me the idea. I was like, wow, sustainable hotel. Like it wasn't, there was like the green movement, but that was something different. Yeah. Is that something that hit home with you? Because now it's well, very important to me living here in Miami, you know? Yeah. So, so, so we didn't, we didn't publicize as much as, as one does because it was part of our ethos, but the Virgin Hotels were all super green. Like the first hotel was gold lead certified and we had lots of eco programs inside because that's what Virgin is really about as well. Right. So to me, the transition was easy. Now, one hotels does a much better job of it inside the hotels and the materials and the vision and carrying it forward because that's really the ethos of the brand. Right. But I was a, I was a believer. I thought that we needed to be more responsible towards the planet and regardless of what side you're on it politically, whatever you think. We just need to clean up after ourselves a little bit better, right? No, that's uh, true. Just, just to keep the planet, you know, just to upkeep the planet. It, whether you believe that, you know, the effects on everything else, just you don't want to walk into the major cities in our country or anywhere else and see the bay littered with, with garbage, right? So that's how I think all businesses contribute. So I believed in Barry's vision. And of course, now it's just part of the world that we live in and, and hopefully, uh, you know, making the planet a better place. And, and the vision of One Hotels is really to inspire others to, to follow our lead, just to do better any way that they can. You know, not every building in the world is going to be lead certified. Not every company is going to be eco-friendly, but everybody can do better. 
No, it's true. And it's something that helped inspire me. You know, as the listeners know, I started a coffee company called Biscayne Coffee. 10% yeah. goes to help save the bay. Right. Yeah. And so it's just something that anybody can start if you just have a little passion to do. Yeah. It's just little subtle changes that you can make to make a, make a big impact. It's not if everybody just did a little bit. It would have a, a ridiculous impact. Well, now you've got three different brands. Yeah. You know, I think one hotel and treehouse, you know, kind of like sister and brother, but, you know, Baccarat stands alone. It's ultra luxury. What is it like yeah. running three different brands and telling those three stories and having different leaders in all of those places? I think it's a lot of fun, actually. <laughs> I think the, 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 the thread, look, each brand retains their own purpose and their own person. But there is a, a cultural thread throughout SH. Mm-hmm. related to the values, our values that, that tie into the other brands as well. So it's interesting, you know, we have our GM's conference coming up in Miami uh, shortly in the next month and a half. And, you know, we have all three different brands attending. And if you were there, you, you'd think it's, you wouldn't know the difference. You know, people interact well with each other. They have a lot of fun. It's totally three different points of view. But I think, look, at the end of the day, I think each brand, as long as they retain their identity and their purpose, you allow them to be themselves are going to be successful as kind of the master master brand. We're, we're just a horizontal platform facilitating standards and operations and helping and supporting them. But each brand has to stand on its own. So what are you most excited about now in this coming year? This year is almost done. What are you most excited about coming up? Well, we have some wonderful openings coming up. We have uh, one Hanalei Bay, which is the old St. Regis in Kauai, which should open around first or second quarter and will probably be one of the nicest resorts in the world. It's, it's amazing. Lovely. Yeah. Then we have the treehouse in Manchester opening up in the second quarter as well, which is an old Marriott Renaissance converted with some amazing amenities, including an amazing rooftop. And then in May, we open up the uh, London One Hotel in Mayfair right on Berkeley Street, which is a phenomenal location and just an incredible asset which, with some great food and beverage and some amazing room product and suites. So uh, other than that, we have, you know, just growth all over the world, as far out as, you know, places like in Japan and Australia and Dubai coming that we're all excited about. So no, I love hearing that. And you mentioned something that kind of I want to tie into about hiring. So you mentioned something on LinkedIn. You're big on LinkedIn. So I tell all listeners, follow Raul on there. But there was one post that really kind of struck home with me. or I still think about it. You posted about a month ago was talk about the back of house for team members. Yeah, and you talked about changing it. What would your vision be if you could start changing the back of house for the team that's there? What would it, it be like? Well, it's a, a bit of a dual pronged answer. So one is, um, you know, for new products that are being developed, you know, from all the new brand, from all brands out there. I mean, you should start from zero first with the back of the house for the teammates today instead mm-hmm. of leaving that to be like, OK, do we have any extra space for the employee cafeteria? And that's kind of what the history has been, right? But I think my, my point of view on this is that at a, at a time when we have the ability to work remotely, there are certain capacities inside the hotels. Real estate is so expensive. So there's also the other point of view is that, look, we need every, every piece of square footage to drive revenue. I get it. So why not take advantage of the times that we live in and, and take departments like maybe accounting and even the sales team that don't necessarily need to be on the property every single day? And take all those administrative offices and just make them more thoughtful employee areas, expand the cafeterias, give people wellness areas and places that they can relax in during the day. Right. And make it a, you know, take a page out of the tech company's books. What, what are the first things that they do when they build their headquarters? They, they, they build places that people want to come to work in. And our, the industry's never been great about that. So I think that not only our industry, but I also think offices will change quite a bit as well. As new offices are coming up, if you want people back in the office today, 
besides making the culture enjoyable, just make it a place where people feel, wow, I really, it's kind of a cool space. I love the furniture. Mm-hmm. They think the ergonomics are great. Just little things like that. And I, I think that should be, that's something that we're trying to even do now internally as much as we can with the buildings that we have is taking a look at the back of the houses and see who, who can we deploy and say, you know, we're okay if you work from home. And this gives us more space for our teammates and housekeeping, the front desk, engineering that, that have to be there seven days a week, no matter what, to, to take care of our consumers. No, I think it's great. And you have history of doing it over at Virgin when you first got there. So it just shows you can yeah. be remote. You don't have to be there. Yeah. Well, we could talk an hour about that, but I want to wrap up, you know, because I know sure. you have a busy day and you want to get over to your weekend. You've been around the world. You've worked at great places. You work with great people. But if Raul was starting on your team now at SH Hotels, Raul was starting on your team, what advice would you give to young Raul today? I think the same advice that I just I actually just just met with a, a young lady from Cornell the other day. And I said, you know, I mean, one is just have a clear vision for the future, what you want to do as soon as you can. And, you know, and set and set some timetables for yourself and some goals that, you know, make sense. And, you know, perseverance is, is everything. You're going to learn probably much more from the poor leaders as you are from the good leaders. I certainly have. It's not as easy as it sounds. I've, I've been treated harshly by many people who have supervised me over the years. And I, I learned a lot from those people, right? I learned that the way that you shouldn't treat people to get more productivity out of them is that you need to respect people as individuals and help them as, as much as you can along the way. And, you know, realize that not everybody's a fit sometimes and things have to change, but, you know, just treating people with kindness is just critical on the journey, in my opinion. And lastly, going back to what I said is, if you can, people will definitely help you if you have a vision for yourself and, and you want to get there. And I think most people will try to help you. And it's great to have some great mentors along the way to help you kind of get there and say, here's your direction. And you may not always agree with them, but it certainly helped me along the way. That's great advice and a great place to end this conversation. I appreciate you taking the time to spend with me. I know how busy you are running this global company. I'm very grateful for you spending this time with me. Steve, it's my pleasure. Have a great weekend. You as well. Take care. This podcast is brought to you by Biscayne Coffee. Biscayne Coffee was founded with a giving spirit and a big idea to enjoy delicious coffee roasted in Miami while helping save Biscayne Bay and the animals that live there. As a former food and beverage director, I can assure you these are some of the best quality beans on the planet. 10% of every coffee sold is donated to nonprofits to help preserve Biscayne Bay for all to enjoy. Visit BiscayneCoffee.com today and use promo code MENTOR at checkout to save 10% on your first order. Drink good coffee and create a good outcome.